0: To the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Did you know that the Bible uses these terms? Did you know that's in the Bible? Yes. Say it out loud. What does it say? King of Kings, Lord of Lords. God of gods. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, it talks about the rider on the white horse. It says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And in Deuteronomy 10, 17, uh, this is Moses speaking, he says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. Wow. So what am I meant to say? Any questions? That's pretty much the answer, isn't it? Okay. So let's have a think about that. King of kings. Are there any other kings? Are there any other kings? Well, there's Pharaoh, wasn't there? He was king of the Egyptians. And there's this King George of England. He was a good king, wasn't he? Helped uh, many countries come through the Second World War. And there's the king of Tonga. And there's the king of Thailand. And there's this king. I wonder if you know who this king is. Do you know? Who knows? You don't. This is King Potato. In eighteen fifty eight, Potato was declared the king. Oh, I've gone. To, oh, I must have pushed. That's not Potato at all. Where have I gone? There. My goodness. Don't rest your finger on the button, Jeremy. Sorry, Potato. I misjudged you there. All right. King Potato was, was declared the king at Ngara Wahia. And Iwiko Teheohu spoke and he said, Potato, this day I create you king of the Māori people. You and Queen Victoria shall be bound together to be one. The religion of Christ shall be the mantle of your protection. The law shall be the Fariki mat for your feet forever and ever onward. So that's how he started. You can see that this king, right from the word go, was put under the kingship of who? Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of his last words are actually up there. You might be able to see them. aroha. <laughs> And we could translate that probably as um, afterwards or after I'm gone, hold fast to the faith, hold fast to love and to law. Nothing else matters. Nothing else. That's some of his last words. So who was the king of King Potato? Jesus was the king of King Potato. When he was crowned, he didn't have a gold crown like some kings do. Do you know what they held over his head? Some of you do, don't you? What was it? It was a Bible. It was Wiremutamehana's Bible, wasn't it? And, and that was held over his head to show that King Potato, we honor you as our king, but we know that you honor your king and ours, the Lord Jesus Christ. And every king ever since has been crowned that way with Wiremutamehana's Bible held over the head to show that even the king has a king. Ever since this time, the name of Ihu Kraiti, Jesus Christ, has been held up and honored by the King Itanga. There are kings, and there is a king of kings. What does that say? Lord Lord of lords. Uh, Are there any other lords? Yes, there are. In England, you can go to London and see the house of lords, which is a whole place full of where all the lords meet. And uh, a lord is an old-fashioned word that means ruler. Your Bible might actually say ruler instead of lord, innit? And that's not a bad translation. And that's where we came to this other guy who, of course, isn't King Potatau at all. I, I wonder if, if anybody knows it. will be Mark. He knows lots of people. are No, Mark, all right. Lord Shaftesbury was an English lord. Now, he came from a home where his parents did not love him. He went to a school which was cruel. But somehow... Thanks, in fact, to a housekeeper who shared the gospel with him, he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a teenager, and he dedicated his life to his Lord. He was a Lord, and he dedicated it to his Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing he noticed as a young man was that mentally ill people in England at the time were treated absolutely terribly, chained on bales of straw, where they just pooed and weed in the bed and they were left there. Some of them locked in spaces so small that they couldn't stand up, and they they were sort of just just left alone, and, and it was absolutely disgusting. And he realized that each of those people is a real person and that they're there in the image of God, and so he brought in a lot of reforms where mentally ill people had to be cared for and treated as if they were real people, because they were. And then later in life, he's more famous for all the work he did to free the child slaves of Britain. Children, as young, very young children, were sent down the mines, they were sent into factories, they were given dangerous, dirty work. And Shaftesbury, being a lord and being in Parliament, could do something about this, and he did. And laws were brought in that children had to be treated well. And it's thanks to Shaftesbury, largely, that in New Zealand today... uh, Because, after all, after the Treaty of Waitangi, New Zealand adopted the British system, is that mentally ill people are looked after, and that children cannot be abused, and that slavery cannot happen. So one feature of the Treaty of Waitangi is that the moment the Treaty of Waitangi was signed, slavery in New Zealand was abolished. The slaves were freed, and many of them, most of them went home, and many of them took the gospel with them. And the freeing of the slaves in New Zealand was one of the main ways that the gospel was spread throughout the Maori people. Somebody, when Lord Shaftesbury died, somebody said, no man has in fact ever done more to lessen the extent of human misery or to add to the sum total of human happiness. But you see, this Lord achieved much because he knew the Lord of Lords. There are Lords, and there is a Lord of Lords. It was, and he was known as Lord Ashley until his father died. Thank you, McCall, who knows the extra facts. Okay, but his real name, he was Lord Shaftesbury. He was, I'm not making it up. He was the Earl of Shaftesbury, but he was a lord. Okay, god, king of kings, lord of lords, god of gods. Are there other gods? If you said yes or no, I'll say you're correct both times. But the Bible is full of references to other gods. False gods, sometimes they're called, foreign gods. If you go to Rarotonga, you can see Tangaroa all over the place. Some of you may have done. Hindus worship so many thousands of gods that some people say there are more gods than Hindus. I don't know if that's true. And does that affect us at all? I mean, does this happen in New Zealand? Who is this? This is the New Zealand army. And in 1994, the New Zealand army was given a Maori name. The Maori name is Ngati Tumatauenga. All right, that the people of two of the angry face. That's their Maori name, that's what it translates as. Tumatoinga, Tu of the Angry Face, is the primary god of war in Maori mythology. In Maori creation stories, Tu suggested to kill his parents to allow light into the world. After they instead separated, he wars with his brothers. Now Tu was held in great respect before the gospel came to New Zealand, and traditional Maori society had constant warfare. And now Dumatoinga gives his name to the New Zealand army. So there are other gods written about in the Bible many times and affecting our lives right now. But we serve the God of gods. A few weeks back, Murray told a story, and uh, he told the story of, of the Israelites who were losing a battle. Now, when the Israelites were losing the battle, they should have looked at themselves and said, Hey, God always goes to fight for us. Why isn't he this time? And the answer is, of course, because something is wrong with you. You moved. God didn't. But they didn't. They reached for an easy solution. Do you remember what they did? Does anybody remember what they did? They sent for the Ark of the Covenant to be brought into the battle. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was an absolutely amazing uh, fancy box, right? It was a beautiful thing. It was the Tonga of Tongas for this nation. And what they believed is that God, God's presence went with this box, and it did. And that if they brought that into the battlefield, then God would be with them and they would win. People do this all the time. They think that rituals will save them. They think baptism or doing the Last Supper will save them. They look to icons, which are religious pictures, statues and buildings. If I go in this religious building, I'll be safe. They make the sign of the cross. No, get away from me. All right? and, and or, or like this. They use holy water. They use the Bible like it's a, it's a, no, you can't come near. Here's the Bible. They missed the point, see? The point of the Bible is you meant to open it and read it. Okay? So, so th- they look for a magic trick. That's what people do. So Some people... Some people think that they can wear something that will protect them. Uh, like our dear friends, the Mormons, wear that special underwear. And they think that if, so long as they wear the special underwear, they're protected. Okay? Uh, and people can say, can you bless this tonga?" Yes, we can bless the tonga. I have done so. But please don't think that this tonga will protect your daughter when she's disobeying God and disobeying her parents. The point is actually that if your daughter is walking with God, he will protect her. And if she isn't, the tongue the ain't going to do it. Wear the tongue as a reminder, but not as a magic trick. It doesn't work, and it didn't work. And the Israelites lost the battle, and they ran away, and lots of them were killed. But what was left on the battlefield when they ended? The Ark of the Covenant, this most precious tongue of all. They never should have shifted it. All right? Don't look for magic tricks, it's the presence of God Himself. And that depends on our walking with Him. So they ran away, the ark got left behind, and the Philistines now had it. Now they realized that it was a hugely valuable taonga. Eli's sons were killed. He was the priest. Eli the priest died of shock. What a terrible day for Israel. What a terrible day. It was like they'd lost everything. They'd lost their priests. They'd lost lots of their soldiers. And they'd lost the thing that to them symbolized the presence of God himself. No, he didn't. That's for sure. All right, chums, on with the the story. 1 Samuel chapter 5, and we're going into chapter 6 too. It's headed up in my Bible, the Ark in Ashdod and Ekron. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. Why did they do that? Dagon was their god, the fish god. Why did they do that? <laughs> Everyone's going, I don't know why they did that. This is why they did it. This was an offering of war, you see. They believed that their god had beaten the other god. So they bring their thing in and say, here we are, on The Ark of the Covenant, all yours. We won the battle. This is yours. And so they made this precious Tonga an offering to their horrible god. Wow. Dagon the fish god was a stone statue, but false gods do have a power, an influence, a grip on a culture, including ours. The Bible talks about principalities and powers, the unseen rulers of this present darkness. Dagon was the principality and power of the local Philistines. Now, in the same way, although I said the ark wasn't God, the true God had chosen to be present in a special way wherever the ark went. So, in a way, the Philistines had put two gods in a room together. Not to see what happened, because they knew what happened. Dagon had won. But what actually did happen? Well, verse 3 says, When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. God of gods. Who does a god worship? Our God, Yahweh the Almighty. That's who. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the lord his head and hands had been broken off and they were lying on the threshold goodness <laughs> am i getting it right did i say it right okay. <laughs> all right so so his feet his head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold only his body remained So that day, the priests of Dagon watched the work of Yahweh and realized that he, Yahweh, our God, is the God of gods. He certainly was the God of Dagon. Verse 6, the Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and inflicted them with tumors. An old version of the Bible says, and rats appeared in their land, and there was death and destruction throughout the city. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us, because his hand is heavy on us and on dark on our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, What shall we do with the God of Israel? They answered, Have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel. But after they'd moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. Tumors. What were these tumors? The word is emerald and it means a boil or ulcer from the inflammation of dysentery, especially a tumor in the anus or pudenda. Ouch. Don't mess with God, Philistines. Don't mess with God, Huntleyites. So they sent the Ark of God to Ekron. As the Ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They brought the Ark of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. So they called together all the lords of the Philistines, some more lords, and said, Send the Ark of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was heavy on it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. Chapter 6, the Philistines return the ark. The ark of the Lord remained in Philistine territory seven months in all. And then the Philistines called in their priests and diviners and asked them, What should we do about the ark of the Lord? Tell us how to return it to its own country surprisingly, these pagan priests gave a very sensible answer. We have to remember that God can actually work in anyone's heart and inspire anyone he he chooses to. And what these pagan priests and magicians and diviners said was actually darn good sense. Listen to this. Verse 3. Send the ark of God back with a gift, they were told. Send a guilt offering so the plague will stop. Then if you are healed, you will know it was his hand that caused the plague. "'What sort of guilt offering should we send?' they asked. And they were told, "'Since the plague has struck both you and your five lords, "'make five gold tumors and five gold rats "'just like those who have ravaged your land. "'Make these things to show honor to the God of Israel. "'Perhaps then he will stop afflicting you, "'your gods, and your land. "'Don't be stubborn and rebellious "'like Pharaoh and the Egyptians were. "'By the time God had finished with them, "'they were ready to let the Israelites go.'" See? See? Some people aren't so dumb. Pharaoh was dumb. He was stubborn. But the Philistines know about Pharaoh. They don't want to fall into the same trap. Now, build a new cart and find two cows that have just given birth to calves. Make sure the cows have never been yoked to a cart. Hitch the cows to the cart, and but shut their calves away from them in a pen. Put the ark of the Lord on the cart, and beside it place a chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors you were sending as a guilt offering. Then let the cows go wherever they want. If they cross the border of our land and go to Beth Shemesh, we will know it was the Lord who brought this great disaster upon us. If they don't, we will know it was not his hand that caused the plague. It came simply by chance. Now that's brilliant. Do you get that? No one explained this when I was a little boy growing up in town. I didn't get it. But now I do, all right? These cows have never pulled a cart. So they don't know how to pull a cart, all right? If they start pulling a cart, there's only one reason they could do it, right? Never been trained. Who's training them? God, God, only God could make these cows pull a cart. They've never done it. But even more than that, they've got new calves. Have you ever tried to separate a cow from her calf? I have. Somebody said, look, what you do is you put the calf one side of the fence, you put the cow the other so they can see each other and then they'll feel all right. All night, in the Middle of the night, the mooing stops, and I get out in the morning. My brand new fence is flattened. All right, cows and calves do not want to be apart. Does this ever happen out your way? Is there a lot of mooing going on? Well, you can be sure that if these untrained cows have never pulled a cart, pulled a cart away from their calves who are over there, Moo! you can be sure that God's doing it. Shot Philistines on this particular occasion. Well done. Good plan. So, verse 10. So these instructions were carried out. Two cows were hitched to the cart, and their newborn calves were shut up in a pen. Then the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors were placed on the cart. And sure enough, without veering off in other directions, the cows went straight along the road toward Beth Shemesh, lowing as they went, lowing, Do you understand cow language? (laughs) Moo! I had never pulled a cart before. Moo! And I don't want to start now. Moo! Where's my calf? Moo! I want to go home. Moo! I found a few pictures of the cow pulling the cart, but this is the only one that really showed them. Moo! Moo! What a racket! I bet the cart and the cows would be doing it too. All right. The lords of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. So who's walking behind the cart? You can't see it in that picture. Five people. Who are they? The lords of the Philistines are walking. They're walking behind it to see what happens, as you might, because it's getting interesting, isn't it? Verse 13, the people of Beth were harvesting wheat in the valley and when they saw the ark, they were overjoyed. The cart came into the field of a man named Joshua and stopped beside a large rock. So the people broke up the wood of the cart for a fire and killed the cows and sacrificed them to the Lord as a burnt offering. Several men of the tribe of Levi lifted the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors from the cart and placed them on the large rock. Many sacrifices and burnt offerings were offered to the Lord that day by the people of Beth Shemesh. The five lords of the Philistines watched all this and then returned to Ekron that same day. So that day... Five lords watched the work of Yahweh, and they realized he is the Lord of lords. King of kings, Lord of lords, God of gods. That was in Bible times. Do we ever ever have encounters like that these days? Confrontations between spiritual powers? Times when our God clearly demonstrates that he is the God of gods and the Lord of lords? Yes, we do. I'm going to read you a story, and then I'm going to tell you a story that I heard right here in this building. Here we go. All right, this, this little story I'm going to tell you from the book Mega Shift by James Roots tells about a team of prayer warriors who actually traveled around praying in places uh, that the kingdom of God would come. And this talks about them going to a place in Zimbabwe called Mount Injalele in the Motobo Hills, 2,000 square kilometers of reddish granite Though remote, the region was a popular destination for pilgrims, many of them presidents, kings or tribal chiefs. For many years, they'd come to Injalele to seek seek advice and guidance. There, an oracle supposedly spoke to them out of a large crack on the backside of the mountain. It's symbolic, isn't it? You may safely assume that any advice coming from the crack was of extremely poor quality. Yet over the years had become such a busy shrine that the witch-doctor network across southern Africa had built four temples around the edge of the crack. Temples to what? They were witch-doctor temples. So the team prayed. They worshipped God. They repented for the sins of their people in worshipping demonic gods. They vociferously, that means loudly, decreed the downfall of the evil powers and declared the ownership of the land transferred to the kingdom of Christ. And then they left for the next stop. Shortly afterward, God hit and hit hard. All four of the temples were struck by lightning and totally incinerated. As you can imagine, it was all over the region's newspapers and on everyone's lips. Within two days, the most respected witch doctor in the whole of southern Africa arrived to assess the damage and see what could be done to restore the site. Though it was a cloudless day, he was struck by lightning and killed on the spot. Then came the storm. You may have seen the damage reports on world news. The most torrential rains in memory lashed a wide region, washing away whole villages and especially devastating the occult sites and witchcraft training centres, which were numerous there. But in the same west, sorry. But in the western areas, the same storm system made the Kalahari blossom like a garden. There, where many Christians lived, the land was transformed into a greenhouse of trees, lush grass, blooming plants, flowing streams and wild game, virtually unseen for at least a century. The locals are awestruck and the fear of the Lord has fallen on the whole territory. The plot is still unfolding, but as I understand it now, we are tracking the fortunes of the last 19 or 20 top leaders to visit An- Injalele. Except for Robert Mugabe, president of Zimbabwe, they all died not long after the intercessors came through. So I asked you a question. Does this sort of thing ever happen nowadays? It does, all right? Now, that's, that's spectacular, isn't it? But these encounters can happen in ways that you could see more as being on the scale of our life, all right? There was a woman called Chris Ball who used to come here. She was a children's worker. Some of you would remember her. Chris Ball was talking to me about a spiritual encounter that they had. They ran a children's camp. The point of the children's camp was to introduce children to the Lord Jesus Christ. But at this camp, everything was going wrong, especially if they tried to share the gospel. There was a lot of disruption, a lot of noise, and racket went on, and it all came from one family, three siblings, three children. It was like they were put there by Satan to stop God's work happening. So all the leaders had a prayer, and they started to pray that God would work in the hearts of these three children. And while they were praying, one of the leaders said, I can see a picture in my mind's eye of a whole lot of trees. Another leader said, Ah, that will be Tane. These children come from Tokoro. So they prayed specifically that the Lord Jesus would break the power that Tane had over the minds of these children, and transformation resulted. The children all gave their hearts to the Lord Jesus. The camp was a success, and God did work in wonderful ways because that specific Power encounter between the true God and another one. How do I wrap this up? Very carefully. Listen carefully. Don't tell me I said something I didn't. It's in writing if you're going to challenge me. We as a church and you as a family or individual will meet situations when we can see a powerful spiritual force is at work trying to stop God's spirit working to bring about the abundant life that Jesus promises. Whatever the force is, our God is higher, our God is stronger, our God is greater than any other. But it's still a big battle. If you possibly can, get others to pray and support you in the fight. Today, we love to pray for people here, so come and see us straight after this, if you want prayer for something. Now, last Thursday, Russ said to me, why don't you talk about this? I said, because Russ, if it doesn't make a difference on Monday, I can't be bothered. Does this make a difference on Monday? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church.